You're listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Maz, Neil and Pete, where we look back at our favourite football sides from the Premier League era. From champagne football to shambolic debacles, each week we'll take a nostalgic view of some of the most memorable squads from the annals of our footballing fandom. It'll be light-hearted, fairly shaky on the facts, but who cares? Relive your youth and go with Four at the Back. <laughs> Welcome back to Four at the Back. We're at episode seven, and this week we're looking at Newcastle United, uh, my team, uh, a team I followed since sort of the glory days of the of the mid nineties. And this is the point where it starts to go a little bit sour. Uh, we're looking two thousand and two, two thousand and three, and I say this is probably the last season when Newcastle were truly competitive in the Premier League. We didn't know it at the time. And although this is a season full of sort of highs and lows, it becomes markedly fuller of lows from this from this point onwards. Um, so, I mean, you chaps are obviously uh, your your teams are sort of um, sort of contemporaries of Newcastle at this time. I remember this team as being you know, it, it was. It was full of pace. There were, there were some really sort of um, iconic sort of moments in terms of goals from this season. I mean, there's the Shearer one from against Everton, for example. Lauren Robert smashing in uh, long-range pile drivers. Um, and then that seriously dodgy defence. What are your sort of initial recollections of, of this Newcastle team? I think, for me, it was Bobby Robson coming back to English football as much as anything else because I mean obviously I mean I grew up in the 80s uh, with Bobby Robson having this incredibly poisonous relationship with the national press when he was England manager um, and, and you know even though actually sort of you know England did pretty well in 86 bar you know Maradona being a genius and um, you know 88 euros was a was a was a total disaster they got Van Basten um, and by the qualifying for the 1990 World Cup the press were just you know completely at his at his back all the time and he, he chose to uh, step down um, before the tournament in 1990 and then of course they almost go and win the thing and um and he suddenly a kind of everyone suddenly feels a bit a bit sort of ashamed because everyone's been talking you know talk about how bad an English manager Bobby Robson was for years on end and then suddenly you know England have this sort of iconic tournament in in Italy in 1990 um then of course he goes off to Europe and he does very very well at Porto he goes to Barcelona first as a manager then as a um as a as a backroom guy and he comes back to Newcastle obviously as a local lad um and he's kind of, you know, greeted as a hero, as a returning hero. Um, the fans are sick of Red Hullet at this point um, and just desperate to have somebody that actually loves the club. And, and Bobby Robson just, he, he kind of just gets the mood of the place, I think. And he very quickly just kind of puts together a team which is, you know, kind of um, built in the way that he liked his his teams to play um you know very um fast paced and, and and free flowing and um 
and, and he got the best out of Shearer as well. I mean, Shearer at this point in his career, he's, you know, he stepped down from England duty. He's a quite a different player to the guy he was at Blackburn after the knee injuries and so on. He's adapted his game. He's more of a target man. Um, and he's still scoring bags of goals. And he's got, you know, Craig Bellamy and Laura Robert and Nobby Solano and Gary Speed doing the running for him. So he can just concentrate on doing what he does best, which is, which is smash them in. So it was a really good sort of three or four year run um, for Bobby Robson with that team. And, and I'm sure, Joe, you would say as a fan that, you know, getting rid of him um, a couple of years after this was, you know, a huge mistake, which kind of precipitated a, a big decline for Newcastle. I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I think at the time, um, I, I think that there was, an, there was, there was no frustration um, about uh, the start of that 2004 season. I mean, as, as a fan, I, I was surprised that um, that he got sacked in the way that he did. I mean, Newcastle were no strangers to being slow starters in the Premier League. I mean, the last, I mean, the previous two seasons, we we'd sort of struggled to get going at first, and then towards sort of the end of September, early October, we'd we'd sort of get it together. Um, I think the difference here was one. Um, the failure to qualify for the Champions League for the second season in a row. Um, it's worth pointing out, actually, the season before we did qualify by finishing third um, this season, 2002-2003. But they failed to get past Partizan Belgrade from the qualifiers and they end up in the UEFA Cup. And they go all the way to the semi-finals where they're undone by Didier Drogba and Marseille. Um, and I, I suppose you know, th- th- I mean, that's that's a good run for for most teams. I think there was an expectation that they would they would see off Marseille and get to the final and and deliver that sort of first major trophy in God knows how long. And we're still waiting for it. Um, but at board level, that didn't go down particularly well. Um, apparently, Douglas Hall, um, the co-chairman at the time. Uh, was particularly um, upset by it and there was a big row with Robson about that and during the close season they start going behind his back in terms of uh, their recruitment they uh, they signed Patrick Clivert who had been coveted by the club for a little while as certainly among the fans but he wasn't necessarily the, the player he would, that Robson wanted to add at the time but they acquired him anyway on a free and um, they also go for Wayne Rooney, um, who has the good sense to go to Manchester United instead. Um, and from there, it's just, uh, there were reports of players um, feeling that, that weren't that who weren't agreeing with his methods. Um, Kieran Dyer uh, actually um, speaks about it. He'd sort of lost some of some credibility by allowing by allowing a player who's never been named actually to refuse to play in a particular position. And apparently Dyer then does the same thing, saying he doesn't want to play on the left wing. Um and I guess commits commits mutiny. Um and it sparks a bit of a a bit of a dressing room revolt and before you know it, Robson's out of a job. In true uh, four at the back fashion, we seem to have 
jumped straight to, to the end of this team before we've even really touched any of the <laughs> what made the team come about in the first place in any great detail. Uh, I do remember the end and the epic self-destruction a lot better than how it came together. Uh, it's, it's interesting listening to, to Mav talk about how the Bobby Robson side of things, because I am that little bit younger. And so 1990 was always something that had happened in the past to me. Uh, when I was first kind of getting to grips with Bobby Robson, it was as an ex-England manager who was now, had been reimagined as this figure that we'd always loved. Uh, it's only later that the you kind of Eurovisionists have gone back and proven that, no, that's not the case. Uh, but he'd, he was this England manager who'd gone into Europe and had great success. Um, I, I want to say Sporting and, and Barcelona. It was Porto. Porto. Uh, and then obviously ending up at Barcelona with, uh, we kind of brought through Jose Mourinho. And so he's responsible for that. Um, he, he also brought through Ronaldo. I mean, mm. like, well, we took Ronaldo from PSV anyway. Yeah. So, so there's a very different impression of Robson for someone my age coming through. There was, uh, I, I don't think it changed a, a huge amount. That homecoming reception still made a lot of sense when they had all those people outside St. James Park ready to, to greet him. Uh, there's also that sense of Newcastle were always a feel-good story that I could remember, apart from the two years or so before this, because the year I start following football, they win the second tier it's the Keegan revolution and they are going to go places in the Premier League very quickly. So I've only seen one or two years of Newcastle struggling at the time that Robson come in. So I suppose one of the things to do is, is track into that. What happened between the Keegan wheels falling off and Robson taking the reins that made the whole thing so important for Newcastle fans and what did he do immediately so perhaps even before this season to turn that ship around so quickly that took them from a mid-table team to a Champions League team in about 18 months I think the the first thing that that he does is he he gets Shearer back on side I mean Hewlett dropped Shearer um which was a fairly unpopular move on Tyneside um, to say the least uh, a lot of people have said that that was deliberate suicide on on Hullet's part, that he wanted to get sacked, and so he benched Shearer. <laughs> and it may well have been. And um, you know, he's he's not he's certainly not the first manager to to drop a, a crowd favourite in the in the process of falling on his own sword. Um, I think there's a lot of damage done um, by Kenny Dalgleish, um, and there's a, there's a lot of fans who who haven't really forgiven Dalgleish for what he did to that team. Um, sort of between sort of the, the end of the 96-97 season when he's appointed and the the following year. I mean, he he finishes second uh, with Keegan's team and then he sells Ferdinand, he sells Ginola, he brings in John Barnes and Ian Rush and Stuart Pearce and some, some unknowns from Europe like John Dahl Thomason and um, I think Stefan Givash turns up around this this time as well, and um, although he does sign Shea Given, uh, which is worth pointing out, uh, but that team that went so close in 1996 is is dismantled, and it's not replaced with the sort of the 
the attacking talent that Newcastle fans really want to see. Um, and Hewlett doesn't really do much in terms of recruitment either. Um, so Robson goes about sort of pulling in, there's some young British talent that he brings in. Um, Kieran Dyer, I think, is the first one through the door. Can I uh, jump in quickly? Just because uh, I just want to talk about the dismantling of that team a bit more before we go into bringing in Dyer and all that, because uh, just to throw it over to Maz for a sec, you must be watching this with real interest at Arsenal because you've got a whole sale set of changes going on with Wenger coming in. And I think the last year that Newcastle have that Keegan team together when Doug Leash kind of takes them to the end of the season, you finish on the same number of points. So you've got to be have one eye on Newcastle with what's going on at Arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Newcastle, uh, you know, back end, back end of the, the millennium, so to speak, uh, 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 one of one of the teams that are, are really there and, 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 you know, challenging for, for the title and those top spots. And it's bizarre. We're, we're in a very settled stage during this point. And between those two points, it is. It's us and United who are the big big teams you know it's us and United and it's becoming a bit of a monopoly at this stage you know so I think there's certainly a desire to get behind a Newcastle or a Liverpool even at that point as someone that can you know interrupt that status quo and it's funny how Newcastle were there at the start of Arsenal get into that position and then dip right down and then back up again by this point to be uh, pressuring, uh, pressuring, putting the pressure on United and and Arsenal in in terms of the title. And yeah, it's it's a good team that they've got together at this point. Uh, Robson's got a really steady team. It's different. I mean, when you look at that, you look at who who Dalglish brought in, bringing in these old boys really from a team that was. You know, pressing for the title to guys that are, are way past it who have done stuff for him pretty much a decade previously. It, it's quite insane, really, to think that that was going to work. What, what's he trying to pull off? I mean, Dalglish doesn't. It, he, he does bring in players like, as I say, Shay Given. He brings in Gary Speed as well. But there's no, there's no real sort of excitement about the team. And I guess what what Robson does. When um, he 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 succeeds, Hewlett is he he sort of reads the situation quite well. Like he 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 understands what kind of player um, the Newcastle fans want to see. Um, he recognises that they want to see sort of attacking, enterprising football. Um, that Alan Shearer needs service, and so by by the time this season rolls. They've got Lauren Robert, who is kind of the, I suppose, the successor to Daviginola. Um, he's got an absolute hammer of a left foot. He's got a bit of pace. He's he's you know he's he's got great vision. He can put it on a sixpence. Um, dead ball specialist. On the other flank, you've got Nobby Solano, who, uh, whilst perhaps not being quite as flashy as Robert, is he's hard working and again can. Can pick a pass out. He can finish. Um, Dyer is sort of the the box to box midfielder signed from Ipswich, who um, 
you know, he's on, he's on the fringes of the England squad at this point. Uh, he's quite versatile. I, I seem to remember him making his debut for England at right back. Um, Dyer's an interesting one, isn't he? Because he's he he was like Joe Cole, you know, incredibly hyped as a young kid. You know, there are certain names. I think you know, Maz mentioned this a couple of episodes ago. Episodes ago, a couple of names that you always heard about, um, and, and it was Joe Cole, Kieran Dyer, Scott Parker, um, a few others, and, and and they were expected to be, you know, this this sort of you know this this sort of great next generation coming up beneath the golden generation that had kind of come before that and you know for a variety of reasons you know genus is another one um and they all kind of run into various obstacles i mean genus and dyer had quite bad injury problems uh parker goes to chelsea when he's very young and doesn't really get a game and you know only picks his career back up when he he kind of drops down a kind of level um and, and then he obviously ends up having a really good career but it's 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 kind of interesting um they were almost like a sort of i guess the the youngest echelon of of the golden generation along with along with wayne rooney obviously you know rooney would be the one that that, that did better than any of them but it's an, it's an interesting little side note you know because kieran dyer was unbelievably talented but i think we were saying this when we were preparing for this episode like his mentality was 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 never quite what his talent was i mean i think uh, say that he never actually apart from maybe this one season is it fair to say that he never actually showed the potential that he had he demonstrated at ipswich or is that maybe a little bit too harsh i I think he had a decent career but to live up to the potential i think that's fair i I don't think he he quite got to the stage he, he was expected to you know, he wasn't quite that good. And how much of that was injury, injuries? How much was it not quite having the the heart and the desire to, to make it all the way? I'm not sure. But, you know. Oh, it, I would it, love to have seen Kieran Dyer with like a Mourinho. You know, like what what Mourinho did for Joe Cole, i.e. I, to turn a kind of float, floaty playmaker into a bit of a winner. Um, I, I, I feel like oh, Bobby Robson was, was a great man manager. But he was also quite indulgent. And obviously that story about him maybe letting a player not play in a certain position, that is kind of that does kind of fit with his arm round the shoulder reputation. You know, he obviously was the guy that got the best uh, him and Terry Venables got the best out of Paul Gascoigne in in much the same way. Um so it's 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 kind of interesting. I feel like Dyer really probably needed somebody to like um I don't want to say break him, but you know, sort of like get him, get think, him a a bit, a bit sort of, um, a, a, into a better sort of mentality. I think. I mean, the ship obviously sails at some point because by the time, I mean, Graham Sooness comes in, and and there's there's anecdotes of of Sooness basically telling the, the the guys who are causing sort of disciplinary problems at the club that he will beat them up if. Um, it's soonest really (laughs) and it backfires in the most in in the most wonderful way um against aston villa of all teams um and i'm sure we'll come on to that i I remember it very well (laughs) but um i mean dyer um i think you know in in the years since he's he's sort of he he's retired he's freely admitted that he didn't make the most of his potential and there were times when he didn't fancy it and there were he, he's he's talked quite openly about um 
about what he now knows to be sort of mental health problems at the time. And we, we talked last week about Ronaldo in in Paris. And, you know, th- th- this comes at a time when young players have an unprecedented amount of money and exposure to the press. None of them know how to deal with it. Some of them really relish it, but a lot of them just have absolutely no idea how to deal with it. And they... <laughs> They make bad decisions. They, um, you know, we we there's there's not really many uh, footballers around that time who don't fall foul of it. Uh, You think, I mean, Rio Ferdinand gets it wrong from time to time. Terry gets it wrong. Rooney um, ends up paying a grandmother for (laughs) certain services. Services. Um, But but I was a kid from obviously from you know rural. Suffolk do you know what I mean like you know yeah. grew up grew up in Ipswich so it, it's it's to, to go to one of the biggest cities in in the country and um you know and obviously Newcastle is pretty renowned for its for its nightlife and such like it's 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 quite a it's quite a big adjustment really and he always did seem like quite a quite a shy kid um generally speaking and but he, but he gets labeled as the king of bling by the by the local media in the sun and like he, he he still ends up like dating Cheryl Tweedy at the time and um yeah he's he sort of this he never seemed quite comfortable with it like I feel like he was trying to fit in with that that sort of that sort of expected persona of a young Premier League footballer and almost kind of faking it till he made it when actually he just needs to knuckle down and focus on getting Newcastle three points at the weekend and this was probably the one season where he did seem to focus on it um and he see you know I think we all saw the 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 season review from this year and he seems to be sort of front and center of a lot of a lot of Newcastle's sort of big performances yeah he played really well didn't he and and he he obviously had that engine and he was breaking forward from midfield a lot and he and he was yeah scoring and assisting and, and contributing to the play like no doubting no doubt the talent that, that but also that he he's, I think he, within the squad he's 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 well respected and trusted I mean he wears the captain's armband on a few on a few times and bearing in mind this is a squad with Shearer and Speed and um, and players like that I mean the, the, clearly Robson has put a lot of trust in him so I mean, you you say maybe sort of someone like Mourinho would have got the best out of him, and we've we've spoken before about what he did for Joe Cole, and you know maybe and they were quite similar at the time, um, and this you know, one of them goes one way, and Kieran Dyer sadly goes the other. But the main thing with Dyer is that he just can't stay fit. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, do do we think that you know the the amount of competition he has. I mean, not, not I'm, I'm not talking within Newcastle where, you know, he's, I'm talking about a kid that's this central midfielder, clearly a excellent box to box player, but in an era for England where you've got Gerard and Lampard and, and, you know, even your Joe Coles in there, do you think if he was actually more the big dog, maybe he, I mean, there's, there's an element of that. I mean, I, I think sort of, Maybe he's put. There's been so much pressure put on him as this sort of bright young thing. When actually, when you think about it, trying to break into a midfield that contains Beckham, Scholes, Lampard, Gerrard, finding your place in that, it's it's going to be tricky for anyone. 
Yeah, we're talking a good era where there was a lot of good central midfielders for England. And Jermaine Jim, Genus comes through as well, you know, and obviously yeah. Newcastle would, would would take Genus. And I, I feel like Genus made a lot, overall, a, a, a much better fist of, of those of those expectations, you know, and, and, and did very well at Newcastle, did very well at Spurs. Again, had some bad injuries. But, you know, I've seen Genus talk on BT Sport about what it was like to be in that golden generation kind of slightly looking in the window not quite being first choice for England and and how and how you know uh you know he says I you know I didn't necessarily believe that I could displace uh Frank and Stevie and if I'd believed in myself a bit more you know I think I could have done but I just didn't you know I didn't believe it I didn't believe that I could budge Sven's opinion of those two which is which is quite interesting in itself I think the other thing is there's there's a lot of sort of players around the fringes as well I mean um yeah I mean Owen Hargreaves is being talked about sort of around sort of 2004 um, you've got players I mean Steve McManaman's around a few years earlier there's lots of players who are kind of not quite in that inner circle who will probably sort of slot into an England team quite readily as well and they've got the experience and if you don't think that you're good enough to be out those players then you don't really have much business being in the England squad at all and you said earlier I mean Sven seemed quite like Jermaine Genus and he was often in and around the squads um and I mean I think Dyer would have been without the injuries but again I, I don't think um Sven really trusted his knees is the, uh, is the is the sad truth of it, and he had he had better, more reliable options, and and that's football, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. you think about the the amount of 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 hugely talented players that that kind of never never quite fulfil what you thought they might be. I mean, it's funny, you know, we were we were talking last night about about Ross Barkley, and you know how you know he he looks to be about to undergo a, a career resurgence, and you forget how young he still is. Mm. Um, and it, it doesn't take much for a young player's career to be derailed. I mean, if you look at, at you look at Barkley, for example, he had a really bad injury. And he got two Everton managers in a row that didn't fancy him. He goes to Chelsea in a January window in a kind of fairly odd move where he didn't look like he'd, he'd ever get in the team. Um, you know, he starts playing a little bit, gets 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 a bit of game time. Looks pretty good when he gets a game. Um, and now he's 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 a, he's a veteran. He looks like he's going to do really really well. So it it it's one of those things that if if a couple of things don't go your way as a, as a young footballer, like it can really it, it can really badly affect you. I mean, I think about like someone like Franny Jeffers, who looked like he was going to be, you know, the kind of goal scorer, you know, extraordinaire, you know, twenty five thirty a season for quite a while, and you know, he goes to Arsenal and he, does, he doesn't make it stick. Um, and then he well, ends up just tumbling down the leagues. A lot of the time it's like that, though. And and that that's, you know, I think that's probably become more and more prevalent in, in recent years. You know, Jeffers might have been the first one, certainly one of the first ones who's, you know, bright future, gone to a big club, but probably gone to too big a club where he can't get in, in the squad yeah. game. And, you know, I mean, how many have done that at City? You saw, you know, Sean Wright Phillips might might we might never have seen the best of him because of that you know 
it's so many players have done it. You know, we mentioned Scott Parker earlier. He's one that that's that that struggled with that over the years. And you know, we we are going to see more. We are going to see more. But then again, sometimes they just might not actually be good enough for that that level as well. So it, it's it's hard to find. You know, it's hard to say. It's hard to say with it, with it's with it's Kane. so random, isn't it? Because you you look at someone like Harry Kane who had the career trajectory of somebody that wouldn't make it. He had loan after loan after loan. Didn't necessarily set the world on fire in any of those loans. And, you know, he he gets a bit of luck where basically his under-21 manager takes the, takes the team over. He gets a run of games. Um, and because the big money signing of Roberto Soldado hasn't, hasn't really worked out, he gets a run of games and he makes it stick and, and look where he is now. So... There's an awful lot of, you know, there's an awful lot of kind of good luck and, and grabbing your opportunity yeah. involved in that right sort of manager. thing. Yeah. yeah. There is a world. I, I think the other thing where, here uh, is that Harry Kane is, uh, has, has been shipped out from Tottenham having not really played a game and then sold probably after one good year for Bournemouth or whoever to, to the likes of a Man United. There is a universe out there where uh, he's in that red shirt instead of the white shirt. And that could so easily have happened in, in this case, as we've seen it happen to, to so many other players. So they don't usually end up at Man United, but uh, it's it's not uncommon to either see people fall down the leagues or take that move too early and end up being picked up when someone else has given them the chance to develop. That's it. It could be playing for like Lincoln City right now. <laughs> you know, it's, so it's, 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 it's funny how it works out. But, you know, I think the thing is about this Newcastle team is that even when we, we pitched it at the beginning as as being perhaps the beginning of the end of something much like, I mean, the, 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 the sort of the comparisons to Leeds are, are, are pretty obvious, you know, like even in terms of the, the, the chase to get the Champions League football, attaining it and then missing out and that being really, really damaging. You know, even though the UEFA mm. Cup is some compensation, like that sort of, obviously Newcastle didn't spend what Leeds spent to try and maintain the dream, but nevertheless, it was damaging to qualify two years in a row and then not qualify the third year. But but even though that, I mean, I th- I think you know this is a team that should be celebrated because they did play really really good football and um and they did when they had, you know, big games against the other big teams, you know, they it, they were always fun games. I think there's a 5-3 against Man United that they come out on the wrong yeah. end of, but it's a it's a cracking game. Um, that season, the games involving Man United, there were 16 goals between the two teams. Um, and the so United win 5-3 in the first one, and then the return fixture at St. James's Park, United, um, all that genus puts them ahead with an absolute wonder goal. Um, but skulls, Paul skulls that's all, all I have to say. They win 6 2 in the end after a skulls hat trick, and that sort of that that kills the dream, really. I mean, I, I think the, the, the point is that Newcastle at that time they could beat anybody. Um, is that down to them finding someone else to take the gold burden off Alan Shearer? Because I'm thinking back to just just before this, um, really the team under Robson go from being a mid-table team to a top four team. Think, and 
I mean, I'm remembering that he had a bit of a, Shearer still had a bit of a struggle in that first year with injuries and things. And Carl Court was the big expensive signing and he didn't really hit a huge amount of goals. It's the year after when you go out and you buy Robert and Bellamy and um, probably someone else I'm forgetting, but where the investment actually leads to goals up front. Is that what was the difference? I think I think the 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 main thing with this team is that there's goal there's goals all over the park now, um, and I mean I suppose in a similar way to uh, what the way that Drogba would play for Chelsea, um, his his presence meant that the defenders got dragged out of position, and then you had players like Genus, like Dyer, like Solano, like Robert who could come in and, and take advantage. Bellamy is is a nuisance. He wins, he, you know, he, again, he drags defenders out of position. He He's quick. He's got good feet. He gets hacked down outside the area. He gets hacked down inside the area. He's annoying as fuck. <laughs> he, he, he sort of... He's got a lot of important goals that season as well, doesn't he? Particularly he, in Europe. He does, yeah. And... Um, and yeah, and he, in Europe and in the league, you've also got um, Amiobi and Loire. They're, they're young. Um, Loire Loire looks, you know, he's he's full of tricks. He he starts very well in the season. He scores some absolute pearlers early on in the season. Yeah, that that long that <laughs> long range one was absolutely absolutely bonkers. And you know, I mean. Uh, and the the the, the somersault celebration, like we we missed Tina Espria, we still do, um, but quick, it kind quick of feet. It, it was really a, quick feet. Great bit of drama, um, and then I mean Amiobi is, I guess he's difficult to play against in the sense that every goal <laughs> he scores is accidental. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it's it's hilarious because he gave Carlos Puyol the runaround in the new camp, which is about the funniest thing I think I've ever seen. Well, no one knew because Amiobi didn't know what he was going to do because half the <laughs> all over. Like you, you look at there's only about two goals he scores that season where it's intentional. Everything else is he kicks it against a defender and it rebounds off his shin, or he falls over, or he misses kicks. Uh, it's <laughs> Bizarrely, it's the goal in Boo Camp that's perfect. It's just sliding oh, into the corner. That's a finish. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> it literally makes Puyo look like a mug, and that's like the best defender of his generation, probably. <laughs> but, but you know, they, they they pull off some sort of some some really like impressive wins along the way. Um, I, you know, they uh, in the in the second stage of the Champions League, they. They see off by Leverkusen three one twice. One of the games was without either Bellamy or Shearer. Yeah, that was a good Leverkusen team out. as well. Yeah, I think I think, I think they just sold Balak at that time, but the mm. it was still a very good team even without Balak because um, that that team went to the the final of the Champions League two years before that. Actually, no, maybe even a year yeah. before that. Yeah, like because they, you know, they lost to uh, to to Zidane's Real in the um, in the final. I remember them giving us the run around in one game. Berbatov absolutely murdered us. Yeah, go and see the same for Spurs Mass as well. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> not someone I enjoyed playing against. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it was it it was a a, a really dramatic um, European run for Newcastle, and I think it. 
you know, I think um, Newcastle Spurs share some DNA in terms of that sort of can't make anything easy for yourself, you know, uh, or sort of get yourself into impossible positions that you then get yourself out of, but then eventually don't get yourself out of. It's that sort of, it's never, it's never sort of um, a one nil. It's always think, some yeah. mad scoreline, you know, like, um, you know, obviously the most recent example was like the the Champions League, you know, Champions League so fun against Ajax that, that that was just the most like clown game you've ever seen in your life. And Newcastle was sort of seemed to specialise in those sorts of games around that time as well. I think the just going back to your your question, Pete, I, th- I think that the, the sort of the, the, the bigger threat came from the fact that goals could now come from from all over the park. I mean, Speed chips in with a couple. Um, they've got, I mean, uh, they, they signed Hugo Bian, um, the, the left winger from, I think it's Sporting, Sporting Lisbon. Um, and although he, he doesn't make that much of an impact in terms of, of goals, but he's, he's there at the start of the season with, when Robert's injured. And he looks like, he looks like a decent player. But his presence seems to fire up Robert. Like Robert thinks he's going to lose his place, um, and it's it has the de- desired effect. And although Viana's, you know, he's not particularly fondly remembered on on Tyneside, he, he he started promisingly enough, and he looked like a decent player. But um, but yeah, I, I think I mean Bellamy was a goal threat. I think he he scored seven league goals this season. Shearer scores sixteen, which actually is relatively low for, for him considering he was fit for most of the season um but yeah there's there's goals from from all over really so i think i think that's the main thing and i think that's the thing that robson realizes that we we need to be able to we need to be more than a one-man team and with with Shearer being the main source of goals for a couple of years it's um it, it would it would have been quite easy to fall into that but diet Starts the season well. Uh, Robert adds goals. Um, the main problem with Newcastle is although they score goals, they <laughs> shit a lot as well. Yes, I was going to say uh, the year before the one that we're talking about, which you know we think we can say we're kind of rolling in. This is the 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 discussion of the Newcastle Champions League era. Um, they concede more than pretty much any team that's fighting around them. So they score 74, uh, which is great, you know, in, in coming forth. Um, but they, they concede 52, yeah. which is worse than Leeds in fifth, Chelsea in sixth, and you can go on down the league um, as much as you want. I'm not sure exactly who was the first 11 in this 2001-2 season, but I know that their solution to it is to go out and spend a lot of money on a very fancy kid who'd just been playing with Kieran Dyer a couple of years earlier at Ipswich, a lad that we know by the name of Titus Bramble. And not only that, like a, a Jonathan Woodgate with one hamstring. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I mean, Bramble was, he was seen as raw at the time, but he was, he was quick. He was, he seemed comfortable on the ball a lot of the time. He's just had the most phenomenal brain fades. Yes, yeah. he like, looked well beater Ipswich. To be honest, he, he, he looked did. like he looked like a player that um, was going to really pull up trees. But I think he goes to Newcastle and you know he makes a couple of high profile mistakes and he he never really recovers. No, you know, it's like I think well. his head was gone after that really. And 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 as you say, like he started just to make 
it was almost like because people expected him to make a mistake, he started making mistakes. Well, that was going to be my next question because Titus Bramble fits a pattern in a sense in that he was actually really good at Ipswich. And then when he leaves Newcastle, he's pretty good for Wigan. He actually rebuilds that reputation. Yeah, he makes the odd Rick because all defenders do. But he rebuilds his reputation a lot and he becomes a fairly solid 7 out of 10 defender most weekends. And he's not alone in being a defender who goes to Newcastle and fails. So what is it about that 10-year <laughs> stretch where, where Newcastle becomes the place that defensive reputations go to die? I think partly it's, it's a tactical thing. I think there's so much stock put in in attacking football by the managers. I mean, it starts with Keegan, um, you know, Hewlett wants to play sexy football, but doesn't have the players to really back it up. Uh, Robson focuses more on on sort of the attacking attacking players, and so you know, you've got you've got a core of some sort of reasonably solid players. I mean, Davizas was um, decent, but again, could make the odd the odd mistake, and um, unfortunately for for him, my enduring memory of him. Is, being turned inside out by Dennis Bergkamp. I was going to say he had to be enrolled by Bergkamp. But you know, I think the thing about those Newcastle teams is 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 like defensively, uh, even Keegan had David Batty in his midfield, you know, and, and he had um, Lee Hughes as well. Uh, not Lee Hughes. Hughes. Who I think it was, sorry, um, Clark, Lee Clark? Lee Clark, yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Lee Hughes, Lee the Hughes West was guy. the yeah. best forgotten West Brom guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, sorry, my bad. I think I was, I was conflating Lee, uh, Lee Clark and uh, and Aaron Hughes somehow. Wasn't um, Lee Clark the one who was playing for Sunderland and had a Stuff the Mackhams t shirt on or something? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, he, was he was welcomed back after that yeah it's agent clark um but, but the the uh but the, you know the keegan teams they did have a holding midfielder bobby robson didn't really play a holding midfielder like speed and and dyer and um genus they're all box-to-box players they weren't you know they weren't sitters we um they weren't i mean we had you know, they, they, they weren't ones that you know sat behind the front guy and didn't want to come back either they both two, they were all two-way two-way midfield yeah well. but but i think by this point there weren't many teams that didn't have a genuine holding midfielder so like if you look at united for example like keen had started out as that sort of dynamic box-to-box player but yeah. you know by sort of 2003 he was you know much more of, of a kind of screening player and, 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 you know, Arsenal had Vieira and Petit and, you know, like the, the sort of the, the, the sort of the fashion to have a proper central defensive midfield presence was well and truly established in English football. And Newcastle were kind of doing this mid nineties thing in 2003 with, you know, two Tyros bombing forward and bombing back. And it did just leave them very, very open. And because they didn't necessarily have, you know, the the, the tightest personnel in their back for it, it did leave them exposed a little bit. And I think we were saying, you know, Shea Given is probably the, you know, apart from Carlo Cudicini, the best keeper in the league that year. And, um, and you know, save, we saves them from letting in a lot more than they, they actually do. I think there's a couple of, I mean, one, they, they do try it. I mean, Clarence Acuna is brought in, and again, my memories of him, he, he was he was solid, but not probably wasn't quite at the level that he needed to be. Um, 
the other thing is, I mean, and this is backed up when you look at the results, is that Newcastle are not good at defending a lead. And as time wears on, it actually gets worse and worse. Because, I mean, this season, um, I think we win something like 21 games. The following season, which is where it really starts to unravel, and we still finish fifth, but um, we only win two games away from home. Um, 13 of them are draws. Um, so you start, and, and and often in those games we take the lead and then we can't hang on to it. Um, and it's it's that defence. I mean, Woodgate's fitness problems are well documented, but he only plays half the games in that that second season. Um, so then you're relying on the likes of uh, Bramble. Um, Andy O'Brien, who was signed from Bradford, um, Andy Griffin and Aaron Hughes. And, I love uh, Aaron Hughes. And Aaron Hughes has gone on to have a very good career, and um, yeah, he was he, he was decent. He was decent enough for us. But... Solid. I think that's the best word to describe Aaron Hughes. And it's one thing that Newcastle defenders often lacked was sometimes they they had the eye-catching ability but they weren't always solid and and Aaron Hughes didn't have the eye-catching ability but he was always a a a diligent pro would turn out on the right or in the centre of defence and just put in a decent shift and I mean Olivier Bernard was brilliant going forward but slightly suspect um defensively but he was he was he was extremely popular (laughs) Um, he struck up that sort of relationship with uh, Lauren Robert on the left-hand side and that he would just be bombing up and down the left wing all day. Um, you just think that like, th- there were plenty of centre-halves around that time who were sort of, I think, when you think about it now, they were bloody good centre-halves. You, th- you think of the centre-half pairing that Middlesbrough had around that time. Um wasn't it the ex-Villa pairing that they had yeah, then? Southgate they, they, and Ekiog. Yeah. And, you, I, think, and you, you could have had Southgate when they bought him from us. Oh, and yeah. Imagine how that would have trans, tra- just transformed that, that bat line. Because he was a very, a, very clever defender, Gareth Southgate. Would have been a less interesting dressing room, mind you. Yes. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> a, a, a match of the day would have been far less interesting. But True. But yeah, I mean... It, You'd think if if they'd sort of invest, I mean, they spent they spent eight million pounds on Jean Alain Boomsong the following season. Another one who had the defensive reputation went to Tyneside to die because that was heralded as <laughs> yeah, a really he, great he, signing. He was he, he was he was the next, next big French defender. You know, yeah. he was awful. He, he was must line must as the youngster on Championship manager. He also. Um, he, he, so he signs in the January of 2005, I think, and a, a couple of weeks later, there's the big bust up between Dyer and Bowyer at, uh, at, against Villa. And apparently he's encouraging them to continue the fight in the dressing room. Um, <laughs> so, I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm not sure he was the uh, he, he was the smartest, uh, the, the smartest knife and the, the sharpest knife in the draw, I should say. But, um, before before we move into talking, uh, I feel we're shifting towards the 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 O four season and how things start to come apart. I I've got a question for Joe and then a question for everyone. Do you choose if you have to pick between the the two thousand and two and the two thousand and three seasons, the one where you 
qualify for the Champions League in the first place, you beat Man United, you beat Arsenal, uh, you, you beat Leeds, you rack up these great raft of wonderful goal-scoring victories in the Premier League that really do stand the test of time and, and are, are probably one of the, the main reasons that we're still talking about this Newcastle team 20 years later. Or do you take that season in the Champions League where you have Juventus and Barcelona coming to St. James Park? What's the, the, the best memory? Oh, well, I, th- I think the fact that they they lose the first three Champions League games and and come back, I think that that memory is that there's nothing like that night when they when they secure qualification um, at the very last and, and go into the second round. Um, and I, I guess, you know, that the season before is that that's the reason they're there. And I guess they get the better results then. But I think this this second season, I, I personally, I, I think that they performed, they were better to watch going forward. Um, when when Bellamy and Shearer strike up that relationship, when um, when Robert's in full flow, when, you know, when Dyer is marauding forward, I think they're a better team to watch at that point. Um, sadly, the defence isn't up to it. Um, and I think ultimately that's 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 what cost them. It, it's it's firstly the injuries to um, first Bellamy and then Shearer, um, and and plenty of players around them. And then the fact that they don't recruit and improve that defence is where it all falls apart. But yeah, I, I I would take this season simply because of that 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 comeback. I mean, it's 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 like. When you consider how good United and Arsenal were for this sort of, I mean, I mean, obviously United from the, you know from '92 all the way, really, but but Arsenal from from '97 as well. Um, when you consider how good they were and how much money Chelsea um, had spent since since the Harding money started coming in, um, you know, like Leeds spending so much money. I, I really think it's, I mean, even Villa and Middlesbrough spending money, you know, I think it's actually a very underrated achievement what Robson did with this team, not only because when he turned up, they were in a mess, um, but also because he didn't spend that much money and and he, and he takes them to, you know, fourth, third, you know, decent couple of, 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 of cut runs in Europe. Um it's it's really a a really great job that that, that he did um and it's like although it's it, it's sad they didn't sort of keep it going a bit longer um anyone competing against peak wenger and you know ferguson while he's starting to learn a few tricks and then sort of Mourinho and benitez showing up not long after this you know, it's uh, an incredibly competitive climate. So you have to say that they did incredibly well. I've got to jump in there because you've anticipated what the second question to everyone was, which is Bobby Robson is now at a point where he has this part in the kind of the holy trinity of, of England managers. Uh, everyone knows that it's Alf Ramsey, number one with a bullet. And then 
most people put Bobby Robson to Ron Greenwood three. You know, Sven was too divisive to really break in. Uh, we haven't had a huge amount of success ever since. Uh, 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 you know, Don Revy never had a look in. All these various reasons. It's usually those three that get separated. Bobby Robson's in there without question. So that's the England manager's job. But where does Robson rank when we think of English Premier League managers? Because we know the very best of them are not English. You know, Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, Jose Mourinho. That elite level is occupied by people that aren't actually English. So does Robson have a shot at being the best Englishman to manage in the Premier League? I guess Redknapp's the other one, isn't it? Hodgson. Well, yeah, oh. maybe not. <laughs> because, because wanna, that's that, that's actually the thing, isn't it? Is that generally speaking, it's a choice between guys who hang around in the mid table for years, and or one or two people who have a year or so at the top, and that's the choice. Yeah, I think. They, I, I think yeah. It's... Yeah, Robson Redknapp. Um, what do you want to think? Yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of what he did with. With 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 what resources he had, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I guess in terms of who's won what, I mean, there's there's slim pickings, aren't there? I think Redknapp is the last one to win a major trophy with Portsmouth in 08. He won. They won the FA Cup, yeah, for sure. Um, Steve McLaren obviously won the the cup and went to the UEFA Cup final. I mean, I don't really think of Steve McLaren as the best, but if you're going to go by honours, he's got to be in the conversation then. Steve McLaren was a great was a great Steve McLaren was a great assistant. He just didn't. I don't know. Some guys are just better in the assistant role, aren't they? And, and McLaren was one of those. It's always been been acknowledged. Steve McLaren's a great coach. He's a shit manager. Yeah, you know. Um, if you're just count, if you're just taking into account their, you know, their Premier League career, then it's it's. I think it's read that. Yeah, I think the difficult thing with Robson is that obviously it's quite. A, you know, he's obviously abroad for most yeah. of the nineties, and then you know it's 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 a yeah. fairly short run that he has in Newcastle here. And Redknapp was good at West Ham, good at Portsmouth, excellent at Spurs. You know, relegated with Southampton and QPR. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for, you know, if you're looking Englishmen outside, then you, know, you, you might be talking uh, Venables and, and Robson there. But I think just Premier League, yeah, I think it's got to be Harry. Yeah, like Robson's, I mean, the, obviously the reason that Robson got the England job in the first place is because, you know, he, he, took, he took Ipswich to a UEFA Cup, um, which was, you know, that's kind of up there with Clough, Clough and Forest and, you know, Clough and Derby, you know, in, in terms of achievements. I mean, the idea that Ipswich could, could, could win a European trophy would have been, in, would have been crazy a, a few years before that. So that's, that's if you talk about, like, managers in the, the 70s and 80s, like, you know, obviously he's, he, he's, he's right the way up there. I think had he gone back into English football straight after the World Cup, you know, obviously Taylor gets the England job. Let's say Bobby Robson lands at Villa after Taylor goes to England. Oh, I think oh, you know. Be th- still my beating heart. <laughs> but I, I think then you'd be looking at you'd you'd probably be looking at, at Robson, you know, competing with Ferguson for all of those years. Actually, Ron Atkinson, come on now, that, he's got to be up there. Yeah, well, Ron, Ron Atkinson actually did great at, at, at Villa, but uh, he, he doesn't get a look in because he wasn't actually around anywhere near as long as Sam Allardyce or any of these names that 
pop up in various places. Sean Dyche, yeah. Yeah, so they've put together these long CVs in a way that some of the other guys don't. Eddie Howe, I guess Big, Big Rob was kind of Redknapp before Redknapp was, wasn't he, really? I mean, the thing is, yeah, it's funny, actually. I mean, we always talk about sliding doors, don't we? And, you know, you know, if Villa win the league, um, you know, that first uh, that first year of the Premier League, well, I think, you know, everything looks quite different, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. We'd certainly be in a much better place if we'd never had uh, Dr. Josef Wenglos in. I know that much. <laughs> Dr. Joe. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a what a time to be alive. It's funny. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's that put off any English club of hiring a foreign manager for, for like years on end. And yet still none of them won the league. And and yet Tottenham still hired Christian Gross. You know, go figure. I mean, <laughs> like we specialise in poor foreign managerial recruitment. I mean, you know, we had Sontany and one day Ramos after that. So, I mean, you I, know. I'll, ch- I'll chuck another one into the mix. Allardyce. Big sir. Pint, pint of wine. I can't take anyone that drinks pints of wine seriously. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, his his run at Bolton does stack up. Yeah, his, to, TV, be fair, to be fair, he, he was at the forefront of using Prozone and um you know he was kind of I guess he was he was like the long ball Wenger wasn't he He kind of like he 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 did a lot of analytical stuff diet stuff yeah he 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 was a very technical um manager in his own way but obviously his his bluster and his kind of persona mean that it's you know it's kind of difficult to 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 look at him sympathetically well and and the way that he he basically disgraced himself as, as England manager um, somewhat uh, diminishes his, his legacy a bit but he he was he was that manager that people brought in to avoid the drop and he became quite renowned for it and although it's you know it, it's it's not winning a trophy you get the impression that he took just as much satisfaction out of that as um, as a top four finish absolutely uh, I, mean, I heard recently that in Germany they they do sometimes call like a manager that comes in to just to save a club from relegation. They do actually now they they actually call them Allardyce, <laughs> <laughs> which has got to count for something. Which is pretty funny um, because apparently that that sort of manager is there's not that many of them around um, in the Bundesliga anymore, and it's become a bit of a concern that they've got all these young technical coaches, you know, like your your, your Nagelsmanns and um, you know your Marco Roses and um, they they don't have any of these sort of old hard bitten coaches that save clubs from relegation. They're kind of lacking them. So maybe Allardyce needs to go to the Bundesliga. There you go. Second career Allardyce. That'd be something. So we might put, you know, Robson near the top. I mean, it sounds like the general consensus is that there just isn't enough Premier League kind of experience, but I suppose there's still another year or so to run in this time at Newcastle. But the 2003-04 season is, is not the same. It, this, it's a two-year run with a kind of third that's a little bit of like a almost a Godfather 3 season. Um, I, I remember we were chasing Newcastle in the 2003-04 season. It was a the, the top three were set. It was going to be um, Arsenal were going to run away with it. Chelsea and Man United were fighting for second and third. And then there were three teams in it for the final Champions League place. And eventually Liverpool got it. Uh, and Newcastle and Villa, I think, finished on the same number of points. 
And we looked at Liverpool at the end of that season saying, yeah, they, they were, even though they only finished three points or so above us, they were too good for us. We weren't able to match them. But we looked at Newcastle in fifth and said, next season, they are there for the taking. So what had gone wrong in the spate of 12 months that a team who had no money that had just almost gone down the year before and now finished in sixth are looking at Newcastle thinking they're absolutely there to be overhauled? I think in, injuries play a part for Newcastle. I mean, there's not a lot of depth in the squad. Um, I mean, the season you've just talked about, um, Bellamy only plays in the league 13 times. Um, Shearer stays fit for the whole season. He scores 22, but there's not a lot of goals um, from anyone else. And this, it, it looks like some important players spend a lot of time out injured. Um, so I think that's probably a big factor. And, you, you know, at this point, Shearer's maybe a couple of years away from retirement. So he's slowing down. Um, I think the fact that we aren't recruiting, we aren't, we don't have any money either. And you look, I mean, that season we bring in Lee Bowyer on a on a free. Michael Bridges comes in in February on a, on a on a loan uh, from Leeds until the end of the season and makes no impact at all. And weirdly, we sell Solano to you. Yes, yeah, I was going to ask about that because. Um... That must not have been a very popular move at Newcastle, given the the fanfare that he received at Villa, but also how popular he was when he went back to Newcastle. I mean, in that, the, I mean, selling one of your most sort of important first team players to a rival in the league for it was one and a half million pounds. He was out the side at the time, right? That's that's why he was sold. It it, it wasn't like you were selling someone who was actually playing. He he didn't he didn't play as much no um, but um, it, it it still seemed like a strange thing thing at the time because he was such an important player the season before. Um, at, at that point, we were playing Darren Ambrose a lot, um, uh, and obviously Bowyer comes in and he's playing in that sort of um, that wide right role uh, that Solano was occupying. Um, and obviously, when he comes back to us, he he plays a lot at right back. Uh, which begs the question why he didn't move him back there in the first place, given the lack of um, um, anybody else to play there. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's um, there's a at this point there's a there's a worrying lack of investment at this point, considering how close we'd gone the season before and how you think you know when you finish third in the Premier League, you know you've got to keep improving, you've got to keep spending to to keep up with the, the teams around you. And how do we? Uh, sorry, just quickly. How do we square the fact there was no investment with the fact that this is the season where you spend, where you offer thirty plus million pounds for Wayne Rooney? I mean, he doesn't um, take it. But yeah. well, this is the, this is the thing. I, I think I think there's um, at board level there's there's a bit of sort of they're either going to commit or they're not. But I think they're thinking about selling the club at any in any case. Um, and I guess if they're thinking if they sign Rooney, then that's a massive signal of intent. There's no nobody else really wants to come. Um, I think the other thing um, that plays a part, that plays a part, and I think it's it's beginning to play. It plays a massive part in Robson's downfall. There's a real lack of discipline in the squad, 
and you look at some of these players, um, you know, Bellamy, pain in the arse, Lee Bowyer, pain in the arse, Kieran Dyer, unprofessional. It's, it's, and Bramble was that that was similar to that. We've got Jonathan Woodgate, um, who I don't think does anything terrible at this point, but he's got previous. I think there's this sort of we, we, we there's a culture in the squad where the, the, there's sort of, there's some frustration with the senior pros that some of the guys aren't taking it as seriously as they should be, um, and it culminates. Um, with that um, that bust up at um, uh, against Aston Villa, but the signs have been there for a while. I mean, Bellamy keeps getting himself banned, um, and they can't seem to curb it. On and that I, uh, video, the the, the um, season review, the flying high with the magpies, whatever it's called, it's <laughs> a ridiculous title, wasn't it? <laughs> but in that, like, I swear, every other game, the voiceover says Craig Bellamy has just returned from a ban. <laughs> there's this there's this crazy I, I think he gets sent off twice in the Champions League um yeah, Matt does him like properly Maserazzi <laughs> does what Maserazzi he's going to do Matt I mean, prepares, that's it, yeah. prepares for Zidane with uh, with so, Craig but, Bellamy but the shithouse is shithouse but the point is that Bellamy is quite he's quite easily wound up um, and as good as he is at winning sort of um, free kicks in dangerous areas, he's equally good at getting booked for dissent. Yeah. Uh, How a ref never punched Craig Bellamy in the face, I, I don't think I will ever know. <laughs> But it's amazing. So you would, think, I'm sure how how Shearer didn't. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, Shearer and Bellamy didn't get on. No, uh, not at all. And Rob and Robson's strength throughout these first two seasons was being able to kind of keep them on side by sort of basically playing them off against each other to to keep them to keep them working together. Um, and I guess when when it gets out of hand, you know, Shearer goes mental at Bellamy. And uh, Bellamy ends up being sent on loan to Celtic, I think. Um, I was just about to, to say that. It's quite funny because Robson, Robson's replacement is Sunes. And in many ways, his act of shipping Bellamy out in January was more important to steady in the Newcastle ship than anyone he bought in. But it didn't fill anyone with confidence because Shearer went, goes down with injury and suddenly the, the Shola Amiobi is leaving the line. Yeah, because Clivert was a bit of a busted flush at Newcastle, wasn't he? Clivert lasts one season, um, and then he goes to Valencia. Um, so, but by the time, um, so so yeah, he um, I, I think he's he's he signs this season that um, that Robson is is dismissed, and he he plays one season. Um, so and he's not fit for for a lot of it as well. So yeah, we're pretty much left with Shola Amiobi and Loire Loire up front. Uh, when Shearer goes down, so it's um, it's, it's it's a concern. They sell they sell Carl Court this season, um, so there's a, there's a lack of options really. And and you know, like the other thing is that in some ways, you know, late career Alan Shearer, even though he never stopped scoring goals, the team had to play a certain way. And you know, it, it it meant that they were quite they were quite inflexible because they were playing with by the end of Shearer's career quite an immobile 
target man and you know it meant that it it was kind of a little bit predictable and I think it became you know even more so after Robson left you know the sort of the way in which that everything had to kind of be about providing Shearer with a cross or you know getting Shearer the chance to back into goal and you know use his ass to you know bully a defender and turn around and shoot but you know they they didn't have any kind of you know any any kind of penetration in behind and it it was quite obvious what they were trying to do and for for want of a better word they started playing mid-table football there was no one there to pick up the scraps once once Bellamy had gone and once Dyer had sort of picked up his injuries and, and 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 so forth there was no one picking up scraps and the signings that they make there's nobody who is going to do that I mean Milner at this point is still very young uh Nicky Butt comes in um in this this summer that uh, Robson is is dismissed and he 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 doesn't play he doesn't settle um we signed Charles and Zogbia but again I mean he's still very young famously uh, referred to by uh was it you know the the famous the famous jo- uh Joe conversation where they called him Charles Insomnia at uh, which point yes. he refuses to play for the club ever again. And, and yeah. um, I'm not sure I blame him, to be honest. <laughs> what was the other one? It was like, Johan it was Charles Kebab. and Sumner. That was it. Johan yeah, Kebab. Kebab. <laughs> Just, He was a bloody good player. You well. could make it, make it, make it. He, he up, was a you? good player. Uh, did that actually bring a joke and ear into it? Uh, it brings, I suppose, my abiding memory of the Newcastle self-harm that went on after this team, because... Sooness replaced Robson, and there was an argument that yeah, maybe time had run out for Bobby, and you talked about a dressing room revolt and, and so on. And you can't often come back from that kind of position. But when they took Graham Sooness, who admittedly had done a pretty decent job at Blackburn, I even at the time looked at that and said they don't have a plan. And then a year or so later, Sooness is out after finishing 14th, and they brought in Glenn Roder. And I said, yeah, they don't have a plan. And and Rhoda turned that team around. The only reason they finished as high as they did was the league was terrible that year. But he, he turned it around briefly and then things came off again. And so for about three or four years after letting uh, Robson go, there didn't seem to be any direction at all to what Newcastle were doing. And the first time I ever kind of didn't say when they hired a new manager that is a mistake and that won't work was when they took Allardyce from Bolton and then that all got swept up into the Mike Ashley situation. So it was all very messy and, and obviously it, it was never a good fit for Newcastle. But I suppose the thing is how devastating was it to all of those chances and, and the end of that team and all these various things that we're talking about that there was not only did they part company with Bobby Robson, but there was no idea where they were going. I mean, it, I mean, both um, both UP and 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 Neil, we 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 sort of had our teams sort of floating around that sort of that sort of level where we want to be considered part of England's elite, and for for a few seasons we were we were there, like we had a world class striker. We had one of the best keepers in the league. We had a, a, a midfield that you know most teams would have been would have been frightened by, and we couldn't make it stick. We couldn't 
we couldn't keep up with the changes that other teams in the league were making. It was becoming a squad game because of the, I suppose, the finances, the financial muscle that Chelsea could now wield and United could wield. And um, because of the Champions League money they've been consistently receiving for years, Arsenal could wield to a point. Um, And to see it kind of slip away the way it did yeah it's 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 really tough to to go through that as a as a fan to see that sort of team kind of slowly integrate and you know t- players who who were tearing up the league week in week out suddenly they're not performing they're not playing to the level that they should um i think that it was a slow death in a sense and it was probably worse than watching the Dalgleish because the Dalgleish team was was demolished. This team kind of just slowly stopped playing, um, and yeah, it was it was tough to watch. And I, I think they sort of realised that um, you know they needed to replace Shearer. And they did bring in some sort of, you know, Michael Owen was a, was a serious signal of intent. He, he broke Shearer's record as the, the most expensive English player at the time, I believe. Um, oh, no, that's not true. That isn't true. Shaky on Rio, the back there. Rio Ferdinand would have been Ferdinand, more expensive than Owen. Really, really more. But he, he, he broke Newcastle's record. I should, I, I, I know that to be true. I mean, obviously, Owen at this point, you know, he. I mean, he had some. I mean, he played. He played all right at Madrid when he got when he had actually when he wasn't injured and when he got a game. But it wasn't the Michael. Really yeah. Uh, although a lot of those teams in La Liga at the time, you know, might as well have not had a goalkeeper in goal. But, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, like I, th- I think Owen it actually isn't the Liverpool Owen, and not only that, it becomes really clear really quickly that he didn't want to go to Newcastle. No, he didn't. And, he, and he and he didn't want to be there. And then, yeah, he's even, obviously, him and Shearer have recently clashed in the media because Owen's autobiography is is, is full of uh, comments about how he, he he just, he didn't want to be there and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, they've, they've, they've gone sort of back and forth in the press about it, haven't they? Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough one because although a marquee signing like that, that is, is a calculated risk, you know, it could really, really pay off. But in Newcastle's case with Owen, it, it obviously didn't. But we, we kept seeming to, to bring in players who were either past their best or weren't fit. I mean, Oberfemi Martin uh, was brought in in sort of a mid-much fanfare once Shearer had retired. And again, looked like a hell of a player on his day, but there was no consistency. Um, Viduka was brought in a few seasons later, uh, past his best. Um, so I think there's this... <laughs> They're kind of trying to cling on to this idea that they're that they're one signing away from being a big being a big club, but in truth, it's the team that's there simply doesn't believe anymore. They don't believe they can do it, um, and so it comes to pass. And by, so by the time Allardyce and Ashley roll into town, the, the squad's just it's dire. It is telling that by that point we're no longer remotely worried about where Newcastle are going to come because it's not going to be above us. And no, I, imagine, and I imagine Tottenham fans feel exactly the same by this point. 
I think the thing with, with the Alizai stuff is just, you know, he got his chance at a big club and he he just played he played the same football that he played at Bolton and, and, and the whole the whole kind of point about the the Bolton experience was obviously that he was playing that way because he had a limited set of players that he needed to get the very best out of in the most efficient way that he could. But then he, if you, you you can't go to St James's Park and play that type of football and expect the fans to take to you. Um, I think, I, I mean, I have a completely different kind of perspective on it in that sense because I just don't think the fans were realistic about where they were. Because, I mean, that's yes, true too. Yeah, because that Bolton side, although they were, um, although they were obviously much lower profile than Newcastle as a club, he had better players at Bolton than he inherited at Newcastle. That's the sad truth of it. And that's how far Newcastle had fallen. I, Newcastle, in many ways, have, as a club, going back to the 1980s, have always been their their own worst enemy. And that's one of the that's one of the unfortunate things about the club. And it's why it's always so dramatic up there. Yeah, we we can't we can't football not being played a certain way. And like, I mean, even now. Um, and we we've got I mean, we've got some really exciting players now. We're just not really using them in the right way. And apart from Sam Maxima, who pretty much does what he wants, um, you know, Steve Bruce doesn't really have a clue how to deal with that sort of player. Um, so, fan he Bruce isn't on on. So even though you know we did probably slightly better than was expected last season, and I don't think we're in danger of being relegated anytime soon. There's just no, there's no ambition, and I guess the the whole saga with with the owners now, we, we talked about this as the as the start of the Ashley era. We're still in it, <laughs> and there's been so many false dawns with it. And I think the biggest problem that Newcastle fans have at the moment is there's, there's just no ambition, and that's why Benitez, has, you know, I mean. Benitez has obviously uh, left in the after, after having done a really, really good job, you know, and I, and I think you'd probably say that that that, that period of time when Benitez was at Newcastle was a, a period of hope, you know, he he couldn't save them from relegation, but took you out of the the championship at the first attempt, playing playing some good football, and you know, and really um, had them sort of solid in the Premier League as well. Um, and you kind of lose Benitez and you lose Iose Perez to Leicester, um, you know, and that's and, and, and that's again when when you're kind of, um, you know, I mean, the Steve Bruce appointment was obviously treated with displeasure by Newcastle fans because it was a bit uninspiring, wasn't it? It's a bit like you've gone from a manager that's won the European Cup to, you know, a manager that was that, that resigned from Hull in some bizarre argument with the chairman, you know. The, the best thing I've seen about um, Steve Bruce, kind of just sort of bring this um, a little bit, was um, the, the best performance Steve Bruce, is, the happiest Steve Bruce has ever made Newcastle fans at St James Park, uh, was the day that Newcastle beat Sunderland 5-1, and he was the Sunderland manager. Um, goodness, goodness me. So it, it, that, that's kind of what we're dealing with. It's... It's it's tough, isn't it? Because you know, obviously Steve Bruce is from the northeast, isn't he? And um, you know, he 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 clearly understands what the what the club's about in in one sense. But he is the sort of typical example of the ex-player that's had a solid but 
no more than solid managerial career and probably wouldn't have got as many chances at at sort of decent sized clubs if he hadn't have been you know an inspirational man united captain um i think that's probably the reality of it i think he's he's a nice bloke isn't he that's it i mean he was and he was a brilliant a brilliant brilliant defender in as we talked about in our very first episode one of the great premier league teams um and you know that kind of name reputation in english football is is going to get you you jobs ultimately and and he's he's got a lot of jobs even though the sum of his managerial career is you know outside of a couple of years at birmingham not that great he's better than mark hughes I think his highlights were at Wigan. And, and Mark Hughes, is, as you mentioned, he was another one of those managers with good spells here and there. Uh, a good good spell at Blackburn, for example. That I mean, got him the Man City job in the first place. Yeah. What I was, was going to say is uh, we are cycling very quickly into the Mike Ashley era. If we're going to do justice to Mike Ashley uh, and Newcastle, we need even that first crazy season with the three different managers, we need to come back to that. It's and a podcast do it, itself. Do it in more detail. So I was going to say... I was going to say, why don't we finish off with some last thoughts about what we came here to talk about, the the Bobby Robson era at Newcastle and those two Champions League seasons. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm grateful, one, for for Robson to have those years where he he was revered and he was kind of able to, I I suppose, have one last... one last hurrah, I suppose. it's, It's sad the way it ended, but at least we got to see Lauren Robert in the Premier League. I think that's... He, I think he's one of my favourite players who's ever who's ever played for Newcastle. There's obviously there's we have an, we have a, a bit of a, a thing for for French wingers. I think Robert was probably the most productive of all of them. Ginola, Ben Arthur. It remains to be seen with Sam Maxima, but Robert he scored, he created, he was great to watch. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Um, and the Premier, and the, the Champions League run. Um, particularly that, that you know that season, um, it was a story in of itself, and yeah, it, we 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 kind of out of our depth come come the second group stage. But to even get through the first great group stage, having lost the first three matches, um, particularly when we were we were missing sort of key players, um, mainly through Bellamy's uh, um, ill discipline. You know that those are memories that will that will stay with Newcastle fans forever. And <laughs> if we'd known then that it was the last time we'd see Champions League football, um, maybe we'd have we'd have appreciated it more at the time. But I, the, the whole the whole period is overshadowed by the fact that we were expected to kick on. It was supposed to be the start of something something special where Newcastle solidified their place amongst England's elite and. They didn't, and the place went to Chelsea, and and Newcastle kind of just drifted away, and have been ever since. I think we can all sympathise or empathise even with that idea of it was meant to be the start of something, and it never kicked on. I mean, even Arsenal, Maz probably recognised something of that in the, you know, there's been a couple of false dawns there in the last fifteen years. Pretty much every signing Wenger made post toe five, I think. I think you'd have to say. I mean, in Arsenal, it's a different conversation. But, but uh, I mean, how many how many leagues did Fenger win in the end? Was it three? Three. I mean, really, that's. It, it sounds mad, but it's kind of an underachievement, really. 
when you think about underachievement. Yeah. When you when you think about the the squad that he had, particularly between '97 and '06, like probably three <laughs> leagues there is. We're we're talking about the year where Arsenal should have won the league. You know, it's o two o three. If he'd strung those two, if he'd strung the double and the invincibles together, then you know, it puts him into another onto another level. But he, you know, he never retained it. This this was the year. we were the best team this this year. We we we, sh- we should have won the title for all of Newcastle's fantastic strikers of a ball. I mean, they come from everywhere. Little side note: I once got a ball in the face from Gary Speed. It... <laughs> <laughs> I, I... Do I need to rephrase that? Um, <laughs> I, I, I walked into it's a night. Carry on. I I, I walked. I. I... I got held up on the way to a, a night, a winter night game at Highbury. And um, I, I got in there. I, I was meant to meet my brother at the pub and I, I didn't get there on time. So I met him in the ground, standing in the 21st row, back back to the field, uh, in the warm-up, just talking to my brother in the row behind me. And I just get a ball straight in the side of my face. It was, it stung for two weeks. Seriously. But, all that team could strike a ball. My word, they could strike a ball. Are you, you know, talking about Pierre, Solano, Shearer? I mean, some of those shots that Shearer packed in that year were, were just insane. It was... Speaking of uh, strikers of a ball, one of my favourites is actually... We, we mentioned him way back. It, it seems like another... I think it was pre-lockdown. Uh, Hugo Viana scoring a, a direct free kick against Birmingham is my personal favourite memory of this team. Uh, I don't know about anyone else's. <laughs> this is the anti-Birmingham. Uh... I mean, he, this he is, this is the anti-Birmingham podcast. <laughs> and then just 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 to make sure that we we know Hugo Viana is actually a, a Villa fan. He does. He follows it up with a goal against West Brom the following week, doing exactly no, the same thing. We don't mind about West Brom. They're fine. <laughs> I think, I mean, the, 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 the final memory from this is that goal against Everton by Shearer, that volley, Christ alive. Uh, yeah, it's like Shearer's 100 club is always worth yeah. watching, particularly as it's more like almost 300 club for him, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, like, it's the very celebration that does it. He's like, yeah, Shearer's got like one celebration, but it's like the only way you can tell, it's a bit like a, it's one of those rage books. Like he has sort of, every time he does that trademark celebration, he's got like a little bit less hair until finally at the yeah. end, he doesn't have any left. So like, you know, you see him score his first goal for, for Blackburn. Uh, and then, you know, it's sort of, it, it's the same celebration each time. But if you just like sort of watch it on a kind of, you know, slow, fast forwards, then you, you, you kind of get to see the uh, the progress of Alan Shearer's hairline. Time-lapse video. The, yeah. the, other goal, the other goal that I love by Shearer, um, which um, uh, I don't think was this season, um, there's one against Villa um, where he, he, I think he, is it Peter Enkelman's in goal? It could be. It'd be later than that. Oh, no, it would be this year if it was Enkelman. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was this year, but he. If it's Enkelman, it would be. The ball, the ball's floated across from the left wing, and he's kind of. It looks like an impossible angle to even score on the floor, but he just, he just. Basically, it just sits on his right foot, and he just floats it over the keeper from from an acute angle. It's brilliant. 
Oh, I know uh, the game you mean. This is a late winner at Villa Park, isn't it? From, oh, it's sublime. It decides a nil-nil, turns it to a one-nil. Yeah, I remember. And, uh, I think I remember the one you mean. Shearer had a few late goals against Villa over the years. He was not popular. <laughs> no, I can imagine he wasn't. He used to like but an he, elbow as well. He, he's horrible. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say excuse my language, but he's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> he's horrible. It, it, it is telling that he was England's number one striker for that many years and hated with the neutrals. Yeah, you know, he, he was not a likeable guy. I always, I always come back to what uh, Liam Gallagher uh, said about Shearer and Owen, which was basically like you couldn't warm to them because they were, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he said they were basically like off-duty coppers. <laughs> like, you know, he, he, he said, uh, you know, Owen looked like he was the... You know, he was the trainee and uh, Shearer was like, you know, his PC minder. I mean, that seems like as good a place as any to wrap it up, to be honest with you, doesn't it? Yeah, this image of uh, Alan Shearer and Michael Owen as kind of extras in the bill. Um... (laughs) Wasn't John Carver in the bill? I think Maz is the expert on that one. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, the, the bill actually used to film right where I went to school, so I, I have quite a lot of inside knowledge of the bill. They used to. <laughs> you, you, you'd walk, you'd walk around where where I, I, I lived, and you'd just stumble upon like the bill set every now and again. So yeah, John Carver was on the bill, and uh, Michael Owen and Alan Shearer were on his team. Um, Shearer <laughs> got a medal for kicking a ginger kid in the head. Also, wasn't one of the actors on the bill. Also, he played Patrick Doyle in uh, in Dream Team. Everybody that's been, every English actor has been on the bill. <laughs> the rule is you don't get to be an English actor if you've not been on the bill first. You've got to do that first. Is it still going? I think the bill isn't still going, but I'm officially gaveling us off before we go too long into the bill. This <laughs> is not a podcast about the bills. <laughs> Final, final thought, is there a Darren Ferguson in this team, yes or no? Oh, there's too many. Right, okay. There's a whole bench for, isn't there? Uh, Brian Kerr. Brian Kerr is our Darren Ferguson of the week in that case. I'm going to wrap us up now. Um, I'm going to take your job for the week, Joe. Thanks to everyone for listening. We've been four at the back. See you next week. <laughs>